0: Mark 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, "'Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb?' Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let us pray. O Father, we love to hear of the resurrection of our Lord that the tomb was empty, that he was not there, that death could not hold him. Father, as we now spend these next moments considering what your word says about our Lord's resurrection, we pray that you would minister to our hearts. And although we could hardly grasp the full significance of the resurrection all at once. I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to grasp part of it and understand that part and its implications for our lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Although we've read Mark's account of the resurrection, it's not my intent that we're going to stay there during this time, I want to assert to you this truth, that because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, every word that he spoke is proven to be true. And he is who he claimed to be. That's really all I want to put before you today and to consider The truthfulness of that statement that because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, everything that he said is true. Now on the surface, that should be pretty self-evident. If somebody rose from the dead, you would likely be willing to consider the truthfulness of the other things that they have said. When I say that his words are proven true, it's not that it wasn't true when he spoke it the first time. And when I say that it's proven true, I don't mean it on the same level as asserting that we have a green couch, which is a true statement. If you walk into our living room, there would be a green couch there. It's true. But to say that Jesus rose from the dead and that every statement that he said is true is much more closer to saying the truth of the fact that there was a nuclear explosion 50 miles away. And that has some major ramifications for your life as soon as you hear that news. Your mind should flood with potential reactions and actions that you need to take as a result of that truth you find out that we have a green couch in the living room, you're not going to change your life because of that. But if you find out that there's a nuclear explosion nearby, or that somebody rose from the dead, there are ramifications for that truth. And I hope, although the resurrection of Christ may be familiar to you and you may accept it as true that you would this morning have a renewed sense of the importance of that truth and those truths and implications of them would come cascading down over your life so that you would know Christ is the one that you need to follow trust obey you might be coming this morning, reckoning Jesus Christ as perhaps an important figure, perhaps having some significance in your life. But you may be coming thinking that he has little to no consequence in your life. That he really has no meaning. You could live with or you could live without Jesus and it really makes no difference to you. I hope that at the end of this, that would not be the case. And if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I hope that this time spent thinking about his resurrection will just renew that vigor of love for him, of trust in his word. I don't intend to approach this as some sort of logical argument, to have an open and closed case about the truthfulness of Christ's words. I personally am already convinced of the resurrection of Christ and its implications in this world and in my life. I'm convinced of it for a variety of reasons. I'm convinced of it because of the veracity of the Bible, because of the multiple eyewitness testimony to the resurrection of Christ. I'm convinced of it for the legitimate historical reasons that the church would not exist if Christ had not been raised Perhaps, most of all, I accept the truthfulness of the resurrection because I've been changed by Jesus Christ. That's not just to say that I've been changed by his words spoken 2,000 years ago, although certainly that is true as I read the Bible and I read the profundity of his words, they are transforming. But I mean it not in the sense of somebody reading something like Shakespeare and having that change your life. Shakespeare's dead. When I read the words of Christ, I read the words of somebody who is literally living right now, physically. And he has transformed me by his living words. He has died, he has risen, and he lives as we speak. His words have lasting significance because he is presently alive. And so I want the words of Christ to have their full import on us, knowing that he is somebody who lives now. Now. So as we consider that because Jesus rose from the dead, all of his words are true, I want to give you some framework to build this on. First, I want you to see that Jesus himself foretold his resurrection. And because he foretold his resurrection, it gives lasting import to the rest of his words. It's important to establish from Jesus himself that not only did he know that he was going to die, he also knew that he was going to rise again. Every one of us knows that we're going to die, as long as you're a realist. Jesus didn't have to know that he was going to die because he was pure and righteous. He did not deserve death, so for him to prophesy his death was one thing, but then he also prophesied his resurrection. Jesus expects us to understand that because he foretold his death and his resurrection, the rest of his words are true. If you look at Matthew chapter 16, you'll see the first time that Jesus says this with a great degree of clarity. He actually says it earlier in his ministry, but it's veiled in an analogy. In Matthew chapter 16, Peter has just confessed that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Messiah, and that he's the Son of God. It's a massive declaration that Peter has just asserted. Jesus goes on to say that this was heaven that revealed it to Peter. And then in verse 21, after Peter has acknowledged that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 16, verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. It's after Peter acknowledges who Jesus is ...that Jesus gives what will be the foolproof evidence of who he is. His death and his resurrection. And so if you don't understand the Messiah as somebody who died and who rose again... ...then you cannot understand the Messiah. It goes hand in hand. And so Jesus expects his disciples to understand that he foretold his death and resurrection as a very proof of who he is as the Messiah. Earlier in his ministry, in John chapter 2, Jesus went into the temple. He put together a whip and he drove out the buyers and sellers from the temple. He overturned the tables and the, of the coin changers. He did this at the beginning of his ministry. He did it at the end as well. This one's at the beginning. He went into the temple and drove these people out. He was asserting a great amount of authority as he did so. Who gets to go into a temple and decide that the people who are there don't get to be there? That could come across as fairly Arrogant. And so Jesus is asked, in verse 18 of John chapter 2, what sign do you show us for doing these things? In one sense, it's a legitimate question. Why does he get to do this? And his answer in verse 19 is this, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus told of his resurrection beforehand so that his disciples would believe his words are true. And as soon as Jesus was risen, the disciples remembered what he said and came to the conclusion he was right. It's the resurrection which was the confirming sign that proved the legitimacy of his actions and his words the resurrection was foretold by jesus but it was after the resurrection that the disciples got it and understood it in john chapter 5 verse 36 jesus says But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So the works that Jesus was doing during his life were verification. How much more is his ultimate work of his death and resurrection, verification of who he is, what he has said, and what he has done? He says in John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. He continues to assert before it happens his death and his resurrection. In Matthew 27 Jesus has already died. And his enemies had considered Jesus to be a fraud. They considered him not to be the Messiah. They thought he was a heretic. But they knew that he had said that on the third day he would rise. And so it says in Matthew 27, verse 62... The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, While he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. That text is important because his enemies knew what he had said, but they didn't think that he could come through and actually raise himself from the dead. But they did think maybe his disciples would come and steal the body. And if they did, then the fraud would continue. How much more then will the truthfulness of Jesus' claims be shown to be true if he actually raises from the dead? Which he did. The disciples didn't steal the body. They're all cowering away. They weren't going to come and take it. Jesus foretold that he would rise from the dead. Deuteronomy chapter 18 is the standard for prophets Deuteronomy 18 verse 20 lays out what is expected of prophets, or rather what happens to those who are false prophets. Deuteronomy 18:20, "But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die." And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. It's hard to think of a bigger personal prophecy that you could make about yourself than to say that I am going to die and rise again. That's fairly verifiable. Well, Jesus died, and he rose, and he claimed that every word that he spoke was from his Father. And so what does that say about who he is and what his words mean? It means he is who he says he is, and his words are true. Based on that simple rule, we have to come to conclude that Jesus' words are true, every last one of them. And we begin to see this lived out as soon as Jesus is risen. There is this inkling that everything Jesus has said is true and going to come to pass. Luke 24, which is the, Luke's account of the resurrection, in verses 6-9, through nine, has the angel speaking. Luke 24 says, He is not here, verse 6, but has risen. And then the angel says this, Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven into all the rest. One of the first things that is declared about Jesus as soon as he has risen from the dead is, remember his words. Jesus shows up in Luke twenty-four, on the road to Emmaus. That wonderful story where two disciples of Jesus are leaving Jerusalem and on their way to Emmaus. And as they're walking, a stranger comes alongside them and begins in a conversation with them. And they had put their hope in Jesus, and I want you to listen to their words in Luke 24, verse 19. As they speak to this man beside them who is Jesus, they say, "'Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, "'a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word "'before God and all the people,' And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They had hoped. But now he's dead, at least as far as they know. And they're not sure that what Jesus had appeared to be was actually going to come true. It didn't look like it was going to happen because he died. They had hoped. Eventually, these men have their eyes opened to the fact that the risen Jesus is there with them. And then he disappears. And after he disappears, all of their plans change because they go back to where they came from. Because you see, as soon as they realize that Jesus is alive... Everything is transformed. It's no longer we had hoped that he would redeem Israel. It's that he is the redeemer of Israel. His words and his identity are true. Look at the demeanor of Christ himself in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He is risen. They know that he is risen. And listen to the demeanor of his speech. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The resurrection hasn't stripped one bit of the authority of Jesus or of his words. If anything, it has enhanced it. So much so that the risen Christ asserts to his disciples that they need to go and make disciples of all nations. No longer is Jesus just somebody who's going into the Jewish temple to drive out the money changers. Now he is sending people all around the globe to tell them about the authority of Jesus and the veracity of his words. Jesus places a premium on all that he has commanded. And believes as the resurrected Christ that every word that he spoke is worth listening to, be believed, and obeyed. At the end of the Gospel of John, after we've seen the resurrected Christ and he's interacted with his disciples, John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31 After these full 20 chapters of the book of John, detailing the life of Christ, the author waits to assert this until after the resurrection, John chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these, including the resurrection, that's my parenthesis, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. The conclusion of the resurrection is that Jesus is who he said he was. And we need to believe him. Not only are the words and works of Christ affirmed, but even the future judgment of the world is affirmed by the resurrection of Christ. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is speaking to the men of Athens And in verse 30 and 31, he says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ brings us to that unmistakable conclusion that everything that Jesus spoke. And everything that he said he is, is true. It should not really be a surprise. We shouldn't expect anything less. Consider the flip side of the coin for a moment. If Christ had not been raised. That's a legitimate mental exercise on the basis of 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul does just the same thing. He considers for a moment... If Christ hadn't been raised, he says, and we read it earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 13 if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ had not been raised, what would that mean for the words of Christ, which recount his words, his deeds? his actions what would happen to the gospels matthew mark and luke and john if christ had not been raised would matthew have written his gospel or john written his gospel if jesus was not alive would there be any hope there any reason at all to write remember those disciples were cowering in a corner of jerusalem when jesus was in the grave Can you imagine any of the Gospels? If you read about the amazing life of Jesus and you get to his crucifixion, and that's where it ends. End of story. There is no Gospel if that's where it ends. He would still be dead, and he would not have kept his word to have died and risen. What about the book of Acts? In that book, if you read it with this eye, The apostles are mostly testifying to the resurrection of Jesus. Every time they preach, they're preaching about Jesus risen from the dead. Oh, now you have no book of Acts if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. How about the Pauline epistles? Do you know why Paul became a Christian and an apostle in the first place? It's because on the road to Damascus, he met somebody. He met the risen Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus was not raised, there's no Paul, there's no Romans, there's no Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and on and on. There are no books of the New Testament. How about Revelation? If Jesus was not raised from the dead, who's going to open the scroll? Nobody in heaven and on earth or under the earth, was found worthy to open the scroll, the plan of God to unveil his judgments and bring about the ultimate conclusion of God's plan, save one, the Lamb who was slain, but who is standing because he is alive. You have no New Testament if Christ has not been raised from the dead. True Christianity becomes just this inconsequential, insignificant religion if Christ has not been raised from the dead. The doctrinal structure of Christianity is vacated of having any significance if Christ has not been raised from the dead. It all hinges on that reality that he was crucified and risen. What power does the gospel have if Christ was not raised for our justification? One author writes, If Christ's predictions had not come true, if he had not risen again on the third day, one must believe that confidence in his other utterances would have been shaken if not destroyed, and surely we would not be reading the New Testament today nor worshiping Christ as the Son of God. Because Christ has been raised, All of his words are true. Every last one of them. And we do have a New Testament. We do have the Gospels. We do have New Testament doctrine and salvation because Christ has been raised. Because Christ rose from the dead, who he is and what he said is true. There are true in the sense of a lion's roar rather than a cat's meow. They're true in the sense of a duly appointed judge's declaration more than a five-year-old declaring whether you're innocent or guilty. The words of Christ are true for you today. They're true in that you need to listen to them immediately with an urgent and desperate need because He is risen and what He said has implications for your life right now. So, I want to give you some of these assertions that Christ made, and this is where we will wrap up our time. Because Christ has been raised, all that He said is true. Well, what has He said? Well, we'll think about these in a couple of categories. Think about where he came from. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 14, I am not of this world. If the person next to you said that, you might think, well, yeah, you kind of got a chance. That's true. No, not, don't do it. If somebody said that, you think they're a lunatic. Jesus said it. I am not of this world. No wonder he is so different from us. He says in John 8 23, I am from above. He says in John six thirty-eight. I have come down from heaven. The significance of that is not lost on us. In John 3, 31, it says, He who comes from above is above all. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that is true. He's not of this world. He is from above. He came down from heaven. And because he came from above, he is above all. Do you hear the lion roaring? That is not a cat's meow. He says in John 5:36, The Father has sent me. Well, what do you need to know about Jesus? You know where he is come from he's from above but what do you need to know about him oh you read the gospels and you need to know everything about him but there's a few things that i'll point your attention to he has the authority to forgive sins jesus says in matthew 9 verse 6 you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins you need to know that jesus said in john fourteen six, i am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You need to know that he is the door to salvation. In John chapter 10, verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. You need to know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 10, 11, verses 25 and 26, as Jesus speaks to the sister of Lazarus, he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You need to know about him that he is the bread of life. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You need to know those things about him. You need to know what he came to do. Matthew chapter 5 verse 17, we learn that he came to fulfill the Old Testament Matthew 5, verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus came to set captives free. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus says, quoting Scripture: The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And he says in Luke four forty three, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to, of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus came to give life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came to call sinners. Luke chapter 5, verse 31. Jesus says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Luke chapter 19. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He came as a sacrifice. Mark chapter 10. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The claims of Jesus are so big that they have lasted for 2,000 years without letting up any of their power. And the reason the power of of his words are sustained is because he is alive. And so these are words not just spoken by somebody who died 2,000 years ago, but by somebody who lives now and is asserting them to you at present as they are read to you. They are still true. The ransom payment of his blood on the cross, is still valid. His offer of salvation as the door is still valid. His appointment to preach good news to the poor is still valid. His appointment to give life and to give it abundantly is still valid because he rose from the dead and still lives. His bank account has not run dry. What does Jesus expect of us? He said so many things. Here are a few. He expects us to despise sin. Matthew 5, 29 through 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. What else does Jesus expect of you? He expects you to love your enemies. Matthew five forty four. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What other words has he spoken that are true? He says, in Matthew 5:48, "You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect." He tells us where to lay up treasure. In Matthew 6 verse 19, "Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal." He calls us to build our house on his word. It says in Matthew 7, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it has been founded on the rock. It tells us not to be ashamed of his words. Luke nine twenty six, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father. And of the holy angels. And he tells us in Matthew 16:24, then Jesus told his disciples, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me." He means that. As the risen Lord, he does not mistake his words. He expects anybody who would come after him to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. One last category. What is Jesus going to do? What is he still going to do? Things that maybe we haven't seen in their totality yet that he promised he would do. In Matthew 16, 18, he says, I tell you, speaking of Peter, You are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's something he's still doing. And his words have proven true and will prove true. He also said that he is going to come again. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. In Matthew sixteen twenty seven. The Son of Man is going to come with, all his, with his angels in the glory of his Father. Then he will repay each person according to what he has done. One more. What else is Jesus going to do? Because he is resurrected, he is going to also resurrect everyone. John five twenty five Truly, truly I say to you, an hour is coming, and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. But Jesus goes on to say this Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. You can expect that to happen as sure as the sun rose today. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he is going to resurrect everyone in this room. One day you will die if the Lord doesn't come back first. And you will be put in the grave. And one day, the Son of God will return to this earth, and by the power of his voice, he will call all who are in the graves to come out. And you will be resurrected to live forever. And you will either live forever in eternal life with God, knowing only the sheer joy and bliss of living with your creator in unbroken harmony and peace and splendor and majesty, never knowing one iota of condemnation and only knowing the pure joy of your God in heaven who is delighted to save you. Or you will be risen in the resurrection of judgment in which you will be cast into outer darkness where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. By the way, Jesus said those words. And if all of his words are true, then so are those. But nobody here needs to go to judgment. Because Jesus Christ is alive today, he will give you his very life. It all hinges on your relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of the first words we hear Jesus speak in the Gospels are these. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is still calling people into his kingdom and he calls you to repent. That means to turn from your sins. And he offered himself on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. And he welcomes all who come to him to receive the very life that he possesses and will give it to you so that when you are resurrected, you are resurrected to life and not to judgment. It's a serious thing to hear the lion roaring. Jesus has spoken, and he speaks with a roar. From his first word until his last word. Do you hear him? Do you believe him? Christ is risen. Father, we thank you that you have given us the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have proved that he is who he said by his resurrection Father, I pray that you would keep us from doing any kind of disservice by, to Jesus by accepting some of his words and not all of them. Because he lives, every word of his is true. And Father, I pray that we would accept it as true. We would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We'd believe every word. We'd build our lives on his word. Father, you have told us through your Son that there will be a day when each of us are resurrected. And I would ask, Father, that you would keep that soberly before us this week. And we would consider what we have done with Christ, if we've accepted him or rejected him. Lord, call many to yourself through Jesus Christ.